preparations. It was a, a couple weeks ago, I was driving in the car and there was a new segment that came on to the station I was listening to. This was probably end of October and they said, make your preparations today for winter weather. And at that point, I did not want to think about winter weather at all. The leaves were still on the trees. It was still fall looking. I didn't want to think about winter. But the man who was on this new segment said, if you don't think about it now and are not making your preparations for winter travel now, you're already too late. And I thought, oh, man, we have to do this. So he said, you have to make those preparations to make sure your tires are the good tread so that when the snow flies, you're not going to slip and slide all over the place. You need to make sure that your wiper blades are in good shape and good condition, that your, water, that your windshield washer fluid is there, and it's not the stuff you use in the summer, it's the stuff you use in the winter that can go all the way down into the negative degrees. Make sure you have enough antifreeze. Make sure your battery is strong and there's blankets and scrapers in the... Uh, in the event that your car breaks down or you need to clear off your windshield, make those preparations now, he said, not once the snow is flying. So there's your public service announcement if you haven't already done that. But it also leads us to think about the fact that Jesus prepares his disciples for this mission by telling them what they need to expect, what they need to be prepared for as they were about to head off on this kingdom mission, these 12 sent out to the lost sheep of Israel. And though they were the preparations that he was giving for them, they are still applicable to us today. And so the circumstances he gives will apply to us so that these scenarios that he gives will help us to be ready. Because as we are people of mission who live in the presence of Jesus and carry his presence to our neighbors and to the nations, there will be preparation. There will be these things that we need to expect. So this morning, we'll see four preparations that need to be made as we go on mission. There are sermon notes in your bulletins. You can fill those blanks out, but there will be more uh, notes that you can take if you're a note taker as we follow along. So let's look at these together. There's a lot of text we're going to look at because we will be looking from Matthew chapter 10, verse 11, all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 42. So I'm not going to read it all at once. We'll read it as we go through and uh, strap on, get ready, because we're going to move through a lot in a short amount of time. So preparation number one is this. Look for, might have to click it there. Look for people of peace. Look for people of peace. Be prepared to look for people of peace. Jesus says, verse 11 through 13, whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. And as you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. Verse 40, if you skip to the end of the passage, says this, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. These people of peace are these worthy ones, are these worthy ones who open their doors. So we're going to have to click through all of these. 
These are the worthy ones who open their doors. And so as they went from town to town, they were to look for a worthy person to stay at their house. And if a worthy person welcomed in, they were to extend their blessing and extend their peace so that their peace that they carried from being in the presence of Jesus and being commissioned by Jesus would rest upon the people and the home in which they lived. These were the people who were the entry points for mission as they went town by town, community by community. And so Jesus is telling them, look for these worthy people of peace who will welcome you. These are the entry points for mission. These people are present in your life and my life as well. These are the people who are consistently showing up around our lives. And these are the people who are consistently open to Jesus and to the gospel, even if they have not yet responded. Just because a person has not responded does not mean that they're not a person of peace. But if they continue to allow you to speak, if they tend to show up in your life at a regular, on a regular basis, they are likely a person of peace. They are worthy ones who open their doors to you. They are also ones who open doors to others. People of peace will often connect you to other people that you will not be able to have access into their lives if it was not for them. They often, these people of peace, often have wide networks of friends. And as they welcome you into their lives, they often welcome you into their network of friendships. So that not only do you have influence in that person's life, but you begin to have influence in the lives of their network of people as well. So not only are they ones who open their door to you, but they are ones, go back, they, please, they are ones who open their doors to others. This strategy is used by many of our international workers here, or overseas, as well as church planters here in our country as well. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had one of our partners here, Benoit. And Benoit talked about the people in their lives who were their people of peace, the ones who consistently showed up, the ones who, when they would have conversations about Jesus, were engaging, would ask questions, would share their own life experiences, and would allow Benoit to be able to share his life experiences with them. They were people who would show up for meals, that would show up at their community center. They were the ones who consistently showed up. They open their doors, their life, to Benoit and his family. There was one person in particular who he shared was not particularly open to the gospel, actually wanted to convert him to their faith, <laughs> but she had a way of bringing other people around as well. And so as he and his family would share the good news of Jesus with this person who was trying to convert them, there were others who were listening. There were others who then would ask questions. Though this one person wasn't always receptive, other people in their network were receptive. So begin to look as you prepare to go out on mission. There will be these people of peace, the people that just continue to hang around you and welcome you into their lives. Be prepared for this as you go on mission.
Preparation number two. Expect opposition. When I was 10 years old or so, we are having a family gathering at my aunt and uncle's house, and my, we were at my Uncle Larry's house. And my Uncle Larry was six foot six, 300 pounds or so at the time, just a big guy, very athletic, played basketball and baseball in college, coached basketball, just a big guy. And we were having a football game. I think it was the 4th of July, we were having a football game. And it was one of those times where running all around, and my 10-year-old self, I was running across, and I caught a pass, and right in front of me was Uncle Larry. Uncle Larry didn't do anything to me except he stood in my way, and I hit him as fast as I could, and I can still remember those, exper- those experiences that you have. I can still remember. I think every single bone in my body cracked. Like, I could just, it just, my whole, and I was down on the ground for a while, I hit a brick wall of a human being and I did not win. Opposition. Opposition has a way of hitting us in the mouth. Opposition has a way of pushing back on us. And when we are on mission, Jesus is very upfront with his disciples and is very upfront with us. There are going to be times that we hit really hard opposition. And sometimes we want to go, oh, no, what's going on? Why? This is so hard. Why do we, what are we doing wrong? Jesus is saying, you're not doing anything wrong. Just when you're on mission, you have the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. You have willing people and unwilling people. There is going to be opposition. Expect it. Expect it. And so he lays out four different areas where opposition can be expected to come from. The first is in verses 13 through 15 from communities. Verses 13 through 15 in contrast to this home that is deserting, or deserving, where you let your peace rest, if it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that town or home. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Jesus instructs them when they run into opposition from communities to simply shake the dust off their feet and go on. He gives them instructions not to stay, but rather to leave a town knowing that there are going to be some homes, there are going to be some communities, there are going to be some people that will oppose and outright reject. There will be opposition from communities. There will also be opposition, secondly, from authorities. Verses 17 and 18 tell us this. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Jesus gives two realms of opposition when it comes to authority. The first is these local councils, what we would say as civil, uh, civil opposition. These are the secular governments. These are those 
who are in leadership in a secular civil way that would oppose Jesus. But there are also the synagogues. On my account, you will be facing this, Jesus says, from the religious or from synagogues. It's the religious establishment that would oppose them. And so Jesus prepares them and he prepares us. There will be opposition from authorities both in the civil realm and in the religious realm. We see it today in government, in churches, and in denominations that are becoming increasingly hostile to Christianity. Sometimes we shake our head and go, oh, but Jesus is telling us, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised by it. Our response in all of it is key. Sometimes we want to fight against it. We want to push back against their hostility for the sake of our freedom or for the sake of our comfort. Many Christians will fight against this. But notice Jesus, as we'll go through this, doesn't say to fight against it. He just says, expect it. Shake the dust off your feet and keep on moving. So often fighting to contradict and to counter this hostility becomes the focus instead of mission. Mission is the focus, not defending ourselves. Expect opposition from communities, from authorities. Thirdly, expect opposition from family. Verse 21, Jesus says, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Verses 34 to 36 says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Betrayal from brothers, a father to their child, children will rebel against parents, even to the point of having them put to death. Boy, doesn't just this just make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> but Jesus is laying out, this is what you can expect. He says, I did not come to bring peace, but the sword. You know, context is really important here. Understand the context in which Jesus is saying this. He's saying this in the midst of those who will decide to follow Jesus, who will decide to be a part of his kingdom, and those who will decide not to. This is where the conflict comes. Because at the same time, Jesus also says, I am the Prince of Peace. <laughs> the Apostle Paul says that Jesus came to bring peace between God and man, that Jesus came to bring and to reconcile peace between a hostile humanity one with another. And so it's not that Jesus is coming to bring the sword to every aspect of creation. He came to reconcile, to bring back. But there will be times in the midst of families, in the midst of communities, in the midst of uh, civil authority, all these kinds of things, where there will be this idea of a sword being brought. Not because he is the one oftentimes bringing it, but because there is this hostility that comes. You're either for me or you're against me, he says. And so the decision to be part of his kingdom will often bring hostile division 
among families. That you may commit to Jesus and you may be a part of his kingdom and share in his kingdom and end up losing your family. You know, if that is the space that you are in, Jesus understands that space. There were seasons of his life where his own mother and brothers thought he was out of his mind. He understands that hostility that can come. And so in the midst of choosing if hostility is there in family, cling to Jesus. I believe that's a word that he would have for you this morning. Cling to Jesus. He understands. He understands. Even as he prepares you, if you're in the midst of it, he understands and his grace and his mercy will be extended to you. Expect opposition from communities, authorities, families, and forth from mankind. He gives these specific areas, but now he goes real wide in these generalities from all of mankind. Verse 22 and then 24 to 25 says, All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Verse 24, A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? Jesus gets very general and he says, all men will hate you because of me. This is not just a small cultural issue. It's a mankind issue, specifically dealing with family and communities and authorities. People from all walks of life in all places will oppose you. And Jesus says, if they did it to me, they will do it to you. Students and servants will follow in the line of their master. And if they called him Satan, they will call you the same. Don't be surprised. The same that was done to him is the same that can be done to us. Now, as I said, this is the part that does not make you feel all warm and fuzzy. If you're coming to church this morning to get a good pick-me-up and, oh, I'm ready and I just need encouragement, this is the kind that may draw you down more into discouragement. But I want you to see it from this perspective, that understanding that you will be opposed on mission from minor occurrences like being told that you're crazy or having someone laugh at you to moderate situations like losing friends or family or jobs or position or in society to the extreme of being thrown in prison or killed. Those things sound and are not the kind of stuff that will make you feel warm and fuzzy. But understand this, Jesus loves you so much and cares about you so much that he says, I want to prepare you for this. I want to prepare, I want you to go into this not going, oh no, is all that Jesus said untrue? I thought this was supposed to be easy and smooth life. 
but he tells us so that we are prepared and we are ready if and when it comes. But he doesn't leave us there. He gives us a third preparation, and that is to know how to overcome observation. Third, if we can click ahead, know how to overcome opposition. Verses 16 through 17 give us the first, and that is to be on guard against men. To be on guard against men. Verse 16 to 17, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in the synagogues. Jesus says he's sending them out like sheep among wolves. In other words, it's going to be a dangerous mission amongst all the opposition. And it's going to require them to do two things, to be shrewd as servants. In other words, they are going to have to employ great wisdom. They're going to have to be on guard at all times, yet they are going to have to be innocent as doves. In other words, harmless towards others, trusting and believing the best. This is that balance that has to take place because you can go in and be thinking, oh, this person has great intentions and not be shrewd. Or you can go in so shrewd that you do not expect and you do not give this person the benefit of the doubt. It's the balance between the two. Be on guard, not one over the other. Be wise as serpents, yet innocent as doves. Know how to overcome opposition, be on guard. Second, speak the Father's words. Verses 19 through 20 say, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what they say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Jesus says when those inevitable arrests, uh, arrests come, Jesus tells them, don't worry about what to say. Don't worry about how to say it. Because the Holy Spirit will give you the words that you need. The words of your father. Sometimes we think speeches have to be prepared ahead of time. Sermons have to be prepared ahead of time to know what I would say in a certain situation. Sometimes we don't go on mission because we are afraid. What if I don't know what to say? But Jesus says, don't worry. The Spirit will give you what to say, and the Spirit will give you how to say it. Whether to say it with righteous anger or gentle care or somewhere in between, it's his words and the Spirit of God will do that. I remember when I was in college, we would go down on Friday nights into Brooklyn. I went to Nyack College just outside of New York City, and so Friday nights, groups of students, we would pile in 15 passenger vans and drive down into Brooklyn, and we would minister and spend time and hang out with kids, and there were always great opportunities to be pushed out of your comfort zone and to be on mission. And one night there was a, a group of older kids that came by and they were of another faith and they did not think highly of the fact that we were Christians. And so they began to pepper us with questions. They began to say, well, our faith says this and our book says this and yours says this. And, and I had, my eyes were going, oh no, what am, I am way in over my head. But you know, in that moment, we just began to pray silently, and all of a sudden there were answers to their questions and to their objections that began to come to our minds. And I can tell you they were things that I had no prior knowledge of. 
but they were able to answer their questions and answer their objections, not because I was so learned and I was so wise. We still have to do our part along the way. But Jesus is saying, and I'm convinced that he will do it in these situations, that we will not have to worry, what do I say? But when we live in the river of his presence, the spirit of God will give us what we need to say and how we need to say it. The third way to overcome opposition is to retreat when necessary. Retreat when necessary. Verse 23, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. When persecution comes in one place, they are to flee. No need to hang out where persecution is because he says there are plenty of other towns that will need to hear. We may think that it's cowardice to run away. But Jesus is saying, know when to flee. Know when to listen to the Holy Spirit so that you know when to stand in the face of opposition and when to run. The Apostle Paul, when he was facing persecution in the city of Damascus, was lowered over the wall in a basket. If we read the words of scripture, I think it'd be very hard to make a case that the Apostle Paul was a coward who was not willing to face persecution. He was flogged, he was beaten, he was imprisoned. He ultimately died for his faith. But yet there were seasons, there were times when he was instructed by the Spirit to leave, to get out of town. This is not the fight that you are to face. You are to get out. In China, there is a man by the name of Brother Yoon, known as the Heavenly Man. (laughs) There's a book, The Heavenly Man, who was led out of prison by angels, just walked out. Incredible. But in his ministry, in his discipleship, he writes of how believers in China need to have as part of their discipleship training understanding of how to be able to get out and escape situations that are difficult. Those are things that we don't often have to think about, but escape as part of discipleship training. There are times when we stand and there are times when we retreat. And the Spirit of God, as we live in the river of his presence, the Spirit of God gives us wisdom to retreat when necessary. Know how to overcome opposition forth? Fear God, not men. Fear God, not men. Verse 26, do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus tells the disciples not to be timid, not to keep the good news to themselves, but to proclaim it loudly for all to hear. And in doing so, they are not to fear man, but instead, they are to fear God. Man can only kill the body. 
but God is able to destroy both. That sounds harsh, but Jesus is setting it out for us that we are to fear God more than man. And even in our fear, knowing that he is good and loving and kind, he sent Jesus so that we will not have to face that destruction of body and soul. Do not fear man. Fear God. And lastly, knowing how to overcome opposition, ground yourself in who you are. Verses 29 through 31, as we move through this long passage, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of the Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Jesus brings us back to images of the Sermon on the Mount with the value of sparrows and the number of hairs on our head. And it shows the tremendous value that we have. You see, all of this must be grounded in the fact that we come back to the reality of who God has made us to be in Christ, of his care over our lives, of his love, of his value and worth that he has set upon us. Ground yourself in who you are. You don't have to fear. No matter what opposition comes as a result of this mission, you are grounded in him. Last preparation. And that is to determine your commitment to Jesus now. Determine your commitment to Jesus now. Three questions to work through, and this is where we'll wrap up this morning. The first question is this. Will you acknowledge Jesus before men? When in all of these, this is before men and women, this is all people before others. Verse 32, Jesus says, Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. In the face of all of this opposition, Jesus says that acknowledgement of him before the Father is contingent on our willingness to acknowledge him before men. Hear that. Jesus says his willingness to acknowledge us before the Father is contingent upon our willingness to acknowledge him before men. So in other words, there is not an option for silence. This is heavy stuff that Jesus lays out when it comes to mission. The test of our commitment is acknowledgement before opposition. This is something that needs to be decided now. If you wait for the moment, it will be very difficult to do so. Will you acknowledge Jesus before men? Second question, are you willing to pay the cost? Verses 37 through 38, Jesus says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. There is a cost to be paid. And that cost is paid daily, not just in the moment. How we pursue him now and our commitment to him now, today, will lay the foundation for our response in hard times. I remember as a 17-year-old in high school at the Life Conference, a speaker saying this that has never left my mind, we will never die for something that we are not willing to live for today. We will not die for something that we are not willing to live for today. And he was talking about, oh, people will always say, I'll die for Jesus, I'll die for Jesus, I'll die for Jesus. But he said, if you are not willing to live for him today, it's very likely you will not, if faced with that decision, die for him. And that really stuck with me because at that time I was not living for Jesus (laughs) And it set me on this track of saying, Lord, how do I pursue you in such a way that I will not only say yes if that ever happened, but I will say yes each and every moment of each and every day. And so if our appetite for him, and I appreciated how Leah and the worship team led us this morning of, Lord, of expressing our hunger and our desperation for God. If, if our hunger and our desperation for him is not real high, most likely in the face of opposition, it's just going to be like, okay, whatever, and we'll sidetrack the difficulty. But if our hunger and our desperation is deep now, it's going to lead us to those places where we are able to, to go after worship to go after prayer, to go after scripture, to be in fellowship with other believers, that we will be people who, who long and who want to live on mission. And so it's one of those evaluation kind of questions for us. Are we willing to pay the cost? And sometimes we have to back up and say, Lord, where is my hunger and my thirst? What do I value most? Do I value you? Do I value your kingdom? Do I value worship? Do I value prayer? Do I value being in scripture? Do I value you, Jesus, above all other things? And so if if today you would evaluate your own life and you would say I, there's a lot of other things I value more than Jesus sometimes we can hear it and we hear a message like this where Jesus' words are really 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 strong can we agree this is not one of those where we go skipping out of here and go Woo, this is just great the, the, this is a hard 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 word that Jesus gives if we're going to be on mission but for you today, you may be hearing all this and I'm like, I'm, I'm not at even at the place of mission right now because where I need to be is I'm trying to figure out if Jesus is really good enough to give my life for, like just in my pursuits. Will, will I pursue him and will I want to know him and do I long and do I believe that he is good and do I believe that he is worthy of my life? 
do I believe that the words of these of this book, the Bible, is true? I mean, you may be at that point. If that's where you're at, all these things of mission, they're going to be other people who are like, yeah, that's what I need to hear today. I got to pay a cost. There's something that is, a, there's opposition I'm going to have to face, but I'm ready. But you may be having to step back and say, you know, I'm just not there. And if that's not where you're at, that's good. That's fine. But where you may be today is figuring out, Lord Jesus, where are you and I at? Because ultimately, if you're in a place of mission, the cost gets paid each and every day in running after him and pursuing him. Because if you pay the cost daily to know him, if the higher cost is asked, you will be ready. You will be ready to pay that heavier cost. And third question, will you live for a greater reward? Verses 32 to 33. Whoever acknowledges me before my father, I will also acknowledge him before my father. Verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he'll find it. Verses 41 to 42. Anyone who receives a prophet because... Uh, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he's a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. See, Jesus, at the end of all of this, he understands how us human beings are. He understands that we weigh out reward and cost. Don't we? Like, is there enough benefit out of what I am getting to pay the cost for? Am I willing to pay X amount for this thing? Am I willing to pay the cost? And so Jesus says this, here's the reward. If you live your life for me, I will give you life abundant. I will give you life abundant that is better than you can ever imagine. Even if in the midst of life you face opposition, there will be peace and there will be joy and there will be strength and there will be encouragement even in the hardest situations. I will be with you in it all. And so the question is, will you live for a greater reward? Determine your commitment to Jesus now. I'll leave you with this one story. I know this has been a lot, a lot of me talking this morning. But during the Boxer Rebellion in China in 1900, insurgents captured a mission statement where they were a, a mission station where there were believers, and they blocked all of the gates out of that mission sta station, but one. And in front of that one gate, where everyone inside could leave, they laid a cross flat on the ground. The word was passed inside that station that any who would come out on their way out and trample the cross underfoot, that they would be permitted to leave unharmed. 
but that anyone who refused to trample the cross underfoot, that they would be shot. You can imagine the fear that gripped those inside and the first seven who came out one by one trampled the cross under their feet and they were allowed to go free. But the eighth, a young woman, a student, refused to commit that act. And as she came out refusing to commit that act, she knelt down beside the cross. She prayed and expressed her affection and devotion for Jesus and asked for strength and then stood up and carefully walked around that cross out, ready to face the firing squad. Her example strengthened and encouraged the remaining 92 students that were yet to come out of that mission station. And each one of them followed her example and followed her to the firing squad. What possesses a person to do that? I believe it's a heart that's been captivated by Jesus. A heart who is so convinced that he is worth it, that any cost in this life is worth being paid compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing him in this life and being with him forever and ever in the next. Many of us may never have to face those kinds of decisions. But the invitation to mission will require, though, that we die to self enough that we are able to follow him wherever he leads us, to share the good news no matter what opposition comes, and to be people of the Spirit who are led by him. The Lord has a mission for us, and he prepares us. He tells us what to expect. As difficult as these words are, may they stir up expectation that he will meet us at every stage of the journey as we join him. He's not unfamiliar with these things. He calls us to join him in both good and in difficult for his glory. So Jesus, I pray that these words, your words, that you gave to your disciples as you sent them out, but yet help to prepare us today for being people not only of your presence in church on Sunday mornings, but people who live on mission throughout the week. Jesus, thank you for inviting us into this mission. And I pray this morning, wherever we stand in our relationship with you, Jesus, I pray that we would catch a vision of you that our minds would comprehend how good you are, that our spirit would be stirred to know that you are good and you are worth 
any cost that would be paid in this life. Jesus, I pray that you would arrest our affections for you more and more, that you would meet us in our questions and our doubts and our struggles and our fears as we join you. Thank you for being on mission to come to us. For you came not for the healthy, you came for the sick. You came not for the righteous, you came for the sinner. We've all been there. Thank you. Thank you that you meet us where we're at. Even as we conclude and go this morning, would you meet us where we're at and send us from there. In Jesus' name.